Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the one, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Libro FM is also currently running a summer listening challenge. Each person to finish will get a free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if they can complete the challenge extra credit. Listeners of When in Romance can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3 as in Book Riot 3. That code is BR3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you are supporting local bookstores. Hello, hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, uh, your favorite, Book Riot's favorite, everyone's favorite place to talk about romance. Uh romance novels that is i am jess and i am trisha and it's my favorite place so (laughs) well it is july 25th when we're recording and this is episode 39 and we have a full docket today we really do it felt uh, jess and i were talking before the episode it felt for a long time that, you know, kind of romance news was a little bit slow, general, your usual stuff. And then all of the sudden, it got very real. Very real. And unfortunately, in many ways, it got very real in a way that is not 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 super encouraging. No, no. But you know what has been encouraging? Watching Twitter and Instagram for both RWA and not RWA, which is a hashtag that I've been enjoying. Um Oh, I'll have to look at that. That's amazing. It just, you know, it's great to see the people that I follow and the people that they follow finding each other. So many great selfies and photos of stacks of books. So that's that's what I'm I'm holding on to as we talk about some of the less happy things happening. Well, and I actually saw uh, Mia Hopkins, who we've talked about before, uh, her books "Thirsty and Trashed." Um, she was talking. She was. She tweeted uh, from her publisher's party, which, uh, <laughs> if you don't know, Mia's publisher actually shut down, so she is now self-published. So she was like watching Netflix and eating snacks in her hotel room. So that was pretty great. I thought that was great. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I appreciate that she threw her own publisher party. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> It and is. we actually do have some good news. So so stick with us through this first ad spot and we will we'll start with the stuff that we're we're excited about. 
Yes, indeed. And on that note, let's get to the first ad spot so we can move on. Uh, This episode is sponsored by The Rogue to Ruin by Vivienne Lorette. Best-selling author Vivienne Lorette returns with The Rogue to Ruin, an enemies-to-lovers tale about a woman who finds herself engaged to the handsome former boxer who owns the gaming hell across the street from her family's business. When a vile suitor from Ainsley Bourne's past reappears, she hastily claims an attachment to the first man who comes to mind, Reed Sterling, the devilish brute that's been unintentionally sabotaging her matchmaking agency with his unsavory establishment. Pretending to be in love requires a convincing charade, but with every scandalous kiss, Ainsley starts to wonder if Reed was ever her enemy at all. So I have to tell you, I I let this one slip through my fingers for a while, and just a few days ago, my friend who works in collection development at the library, that's where they buy books, um, she gets she gets the library's requests, and she sent me the link to this and was like, this is all you. <laughs> and I read the description and responded immediately, I need it now. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, come on, you've got the large gentleman who runs the gaming hell across the street, the matchmaker, a fake relationship. Hello. It's all the good things. <laughs> it's uh, just pride, you know, trope tonight, I think. Uh, yes, it is definitely under my uh, trope tonight umbrella. Um, so reading further on, I see that Reed Sterling may be an alpha male on the outside, but he's a hero with a soft heart. He's the perfect cinnamon roll. He has a pet cat that he'd literally kill for. He's fiercely protective of his friends and family, and he'd do anything for the affection of Miss Ainsley. So uh, I'm going to actually just leave this recording and read it, FYI. I think that's lovely. I think that's a wonderful (laughs) plan. And then you can let us know in a couple weeks how it all turned out. Absolutely. So once again, that's The Rogue to Ruin by Vivienne Lorette. Well, that is a, that book sounds incredible, Jess. Uh, you know what another book is that sounds incredible? What is? It is The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite, which actually you have vouched for as being uh, incredible. And as some of you may all know already, that, this is very exciting, is the newest book in round two of the Ripped Bodice's Great Big Romance Read. Um, and we, when in romance, are going to join in the fun uh, so we were just talking about this before the show too, that September is the month for the great big romance read. And we're thinking maybe September 23rd, that's the podcast, uh, date will be well, the, the, the date of the podcast launch rather. Um, we feel like that's a good, a good time for us to discuss it. So mm-hmm. I'm actually holding off. I'm going to wait until September now to read this. Cause I have it and I've been, it's been like high on my TBR. So now I'm going to, so that I can be fresh and ready for the discussion. I'm going to give it another six weeks or so. Oh, yes. I can't wait. I wish I could just read it for the first time again, because it's so delightful. Um, but I, I don't I don't reread. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to have to at least, you know, revisit some parts or maybe every page. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, and if you are, um, we would love to have your, well, we'll, a little bit closer to the date, we'll solicit your input again for any thoughts or ideas or questions that you have that we could discuss on our podcast. But if you are 
out uh, in the United States or in the larger world, um, we'll link to the fact that there is a group of different book clubs and groups that are discussing from California to West Virginia to Alaska to Illinois, uh, from Twitter to YouTube to podcasts like ours. So you have actually a lot of different opportunities to be a part of this Mm -hmm. very cool uh, book club. And I will confess, Jess, I can't remember a lot of the details. Can you let folks know anything about the book? So um, the Ladies' Guide to Celestial Mechanics is a kind of groundbreaking. Like it's not in the greater sense of things. It's part of a great tradition, but it is one of the first that I've seen um, uh, romance between women taking place in the Regency time, maybe Victorian. Now I can't remember. Um, it is a historical romance featuring love of women. Um, one of them is an astronomer. Um, well, the, the scientists that she's trying to get into a society with wouldn't call her an astronomer. She just took notes for her father. And she is a brilliant woman who seeks the help of another brilliant woman who has a lot of money um, to uh, help translate a text that's only been read in French so far. And then stuff happens. I mean, for what it's worth, I am never entirely clear on the difference between Victorian and Regency. And (laughs) so I don't really feel like it matters that much in this case. Um, although I'm sure I, I will hear about that uh, opinion. Uh, but it sounds delightful. I am very excited to uh, jump in on this one, you know, six weeks from now so that so that I remember everything that happened, all of the many details and delightful things. So anyway, thanks to the Rip Goddess for once again funding, supporting the great big romance read. Um, I guess not really funding so much because we're all just in it for the love of books. Um, mm-hmm. But they pull it together. And we really appreciate that. The, we'll make sure that we link to the, where you can find the participating groups and the schedule and all of that. So um, yeah, so that's very exciting. Uh, and that's not even the most exciting news that we got this week from uh, the Ripped Bodice. I will introduce this because um, I think Jess might have a little bit more insight. But the Ripped Bodice has also announced just within the last day or so, the Ripped Bodice Awards for Excellence in Romantic Fiction, which are going to celebrate the best books of the year. So uh, eligible books are um, published in 2019. And each honoree will receive a $1,000 cash prize, it looks like, plus a $100 donation to the charity of their choice. Mm -hmm. The 2019 um, winners will be announced on Valentine's Day. I feel like there was one other thing I wanted to... Oh, between 1 and 12 authors will be honored every year, but there are no category breakdowns. So all judge, all books will be judged equally. And last but not least importantly, uh, they have an extraordinary panel of industry experts who will be doing the judging, including one Jessica Pride. Yes, yes, including me. <laughs> Which is very exciting. Yes, I'm really excited to be a part of it. You know, when I was, you know, sitting on that park and a yellow envelope with Top Secret landed in my lap, I thought, well, this is the beginning of a new <laughs> destiny. Um, <laughs> Someday they'll make a movie about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was really a, an honor to be invited to be part of this. Um, and I am astounded that I am going to be working with such an amazing group of people to figure out 
between 1 and 12 of the best books of the entire romantic fiction oeuvre um, published in 2019. Because that that's what is so great about this. There are only two requirements for this. It meets industry standards for romance, central love story, happily ever after, and it was published in 2019. Nothing else. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you are in great company. Um, Sarah Wendell, who was on our last show, is one of the judges too. Anna Kokoi, who is um, the founder of R- the Rob R- Rumbook Love Project that we've talked about many times before. Bian Leah, Cole McCade, um, author who we've talked about before. Sil, uh, Silvana Reyes, who's also a Book Riot uh, contributor along with mm-hmm. us, will also be a part of that team. So it really, it's worth checking out um, just to see what an estro- extraordinary group of people it really is. I think there are a couple of things about this that I thought were really interesting and that we've talked about in relation to where sometimes other awards may have kind of misstepped or had had a little bit of struggle. And one of them is that you don't have to submit your own book. Mm -hmm. Um, The judges, uh, as you will see when you look at the list, are a group of people who know the industry very, very well. Although you can submit your book if you think that it's possible that it would get missed, or you can Mm -hmm. at least um, mention it so that it's on the radar. Um, My guess is that that's targeted more towards self-published authors, but uh, I don't know that for sure. The other thing that I think is interesting, and I'm still thinking about what I think of it, is the fact that there is no subcategory or genre breakdown. And I I have faith in all of the judges, and of course in uh, B and Leah, who are putting this together um, from Ripatis. Um, but I, I wonder about that a little bit. I wonder how that will go. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see books that are very, very different, whether they're self-published contemporary comedy romance versus a traditionally published, um, you know, book like something, um, you know, Sarah McLean wrote, or, you know, this published by a, um, a larger publishing house i wonder how a book you know we were talking a little bit we ha- we got a, a note from uh michelle who um i won't say anything more about in case she she would prefer that we not about you know contemporary fiction or as some people call it women's fiction versus romance and um it made me think a little bit about that and i don't know if a book that uh, a book like pride prejudice and other flavors for example by sonali dev which i've seen marketed as more contemporary fiction than romance mm-hmm. does that end up as part of the you know whole set of of possibilities so anyway it was i uh i will not make someone who is one of the judges of this award comment on any of that but those were some <laughs> of the interesting things i was thinking about a little bit um but regardless we've talked a little bit about the fact that uh given the troubles with rwa and the there are other certainly other awards out there. Actually, Anna, um, Kukoi through, it's not through Ron Book Love. I can't think of. Is it the reader chat? Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So there are other awards out there, but in terms of something that is on this scale, mm-hmm. I think it's great that we've got something new. And this is the, the first like really fully formed thing that Lee and Bia Lee and B, Leah and B have have um really been able to put together since their partnership with Sony was established, and the fact that Sony is putting so much into this as well, um, 
well, it's probably just like a drop in the bucket for them, but um, that they're providing this and, and it's not just a cash prize for the winners, but also charity money um, is is really significant i think like i i appreciate that that has come out of their partnership even as we have to wait for bigger things to come out of it yeah i think that's a great point i don't think i mentioned that sony was um who was sponsoring the costs of uh the prizes and and all of that so um so yeah that's great that they are willing to do that 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 um now you got me confused B and Leah <laughs> were able to negotiate it. I'm pretty sure those are their names. Um, not Lee, B and Bia and Lee. Anyway, uh, it seems like it's a it's a great partnership and it's a really cool thing. And I I will be really really interested to see how this goes. Hopefully, it's a good opportunity too to call attention um, to some books that may not be able to get it otherwise. So that's great. Absolutely. So good luck, Jess. Godspeed. Thank you. <laughs> I I appreciate it and need it because goodness gracious, 2019, y'all have been prolific. Yeah, it is a great year for romance. It's been a great year. Well, I I should say that in a different way. It's a great (laughs) year for good romance books that are coming to us. (laughs) It's not a great year in all of the other ways. Um, Yeah. Looking at you, Harlequin. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the Harlequin restructuring as we shift into the less exciting uh, news of the week? So there was some uh, interesting development at Harlequin where they just, they basically split into two key companies under under the overarching Harlequin name, which itself is underneath HarperCollins. Um, and there's now sort of one... VP overseeing the entirety of what we'll call Harlequin publishing, like what they're actually putting into print. Um, and, uh, um, this person has in the past been sort of the director of digital marketing and that kind of thing. He's probably the person in charge of like those cute Harlequin videos, the one where like the Viking carries the girl into the bowling alley and all of that i don't know i'm not completely certain <laughs> is that a real thing or were you just like using a general that is that, that is a real? a real thing you need okay. to find that video um <laughs> no i believe you because i absolutely trust you i just had not seen this that style of uh harlequin video so now i know what what to look for as soon as we finish this podcast they're actually pretty delightful. One came out like last week or the week before. I don't know. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Yeah, sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> the the key thing is that um two pretty big names in the current sort of universe of Harlequin series and Karina are no longer working there. Yeah, so Angela James was the longtime editorial director of Karina Press and then Joanne Grant the um, editorial director for the series are now, as we say this, both have left, not of their own volition. It's worth noting. Yes. And the the whole thing, like, I don't know why, what the timing was or anything like that, but Angela was on vacation for two weeks and then comes back and is like, so your job isn't going to be here in three days. Like, who does that? So now there is... With the restructuring and the loss of two key players in at a certain 
level. Now there are questions because A, why were those positions removed? And why is there now sort of everything under the sun under one VP um, who is in charge of all of the series and Karina, what's the future of those? Because I am not as well-versed in all of the series as I am in Karina, just because Karina is where I went to find all of the sort of risk-taking um, with more things by queer authors, by authors of color, by queer authors of color, um, things that weren't, that you don't find in the regular series. Um, are those books still going to be published through Karina? Like, and Angela, as she said, her farewell was mentioned, and we have to keep in mind that there are still really good editors, um, in both sections of the Harlequin print publishing thing. Um, but what, what is the position of their leadership? Do do they still have the same kind of guidance that they got? And are they going to be able to take the risks that they've been allowed to take um, to find the people that they've been able to find that publish amazing works of fiction right now? Um, so as you can kind of tell, I'm still kind of bothered by all of this, and I don't completely understand why they decided to make these enormous changes um, because, you know, I'm not a finance major and don't know if anything weird was happening with their sales or their vision or HarperCollins or the Harlequin parent company. I don't know. But I've sort of lost a little bit of trust. I'll, I'll keep watching because the editors that still remain um, deserve our faith, but I don't know what's happening with the bigger company. Well, and the authors as well, because you mentioned being able to kind of find and recruit the authors, the, the, the caliber of authors that um, Karina had been working with, but even keeping some of them, you know, mm-hmm. I talked to just in our very last episode about how I was really excited by what Karina had been able to do with Anna Zabo and the work that, you know, those two entities together had been able to put out and, Anna is one of the people I saw on Twitter sort of, you know, mentioning their concern about whether or not this would be, you know, what the impact of this kind of a thing would be. And I'll mm-hmm. say, Jess, you know, you mentioned being still sort of uncertain and, and frustrated. And I I don't know if I have seen any publishing move in the time that we've been doing this podcast that had such vocal and very clearly one-sided, uh, that side being frustrated, um, mm-hmm. kind of input from, frankly, everyone I saw across the romance world, from authors to other publishers to um, readers or librarians or folks who are just generally kind of in the know. It was, I don't, yeah, I'm with you in that it's hard to see how this decision makes sense. Yeah. So I guess... We'll see what happens in the next few months, because if there are no moves being made, then I will not understand why any of this is happening in the first place. Yeah. And then we'll just take a quick minute to add on (laughs) is in another sort of romance publishing slap in the face to the larger romance world. um, Mm -hmm. 
some of you may have seen or heard of some more consternation on Twitter this week that uh, Alexa Riley, who is a author pair, Alexa and Riley, um, who we have talked about on this show as having sort of a troubling reputation in terms of potential ghostwriting and book stuffing, which for those who can't recall, um, we did talk about this and uh, you know, I'll see if I can dig up whatever that podcast was. But the the general idea is that you take, if Jess writes a book, it's 120 pages long, but it's on Kindle Unlimited. And so she wants to get um, a larger cash payout because you get paid by the page that is read on KU. Then she takes her 120 page book and then happens to add three more of her 80 page novellas at the end. Uh, and then maybe at the beginning of the book has a, hey, or get a free book by clicking this link, which takes someone to the end of the book. And then you enter the giveaway, whatever. So it looks like that person has read not just the 120 page book, but the three other 80 page novellas, which can significantly uh, changes the way that they get reimbursed. And the most important part of this is that Kindle Unlimited payouts are a zero sum game. So any money that Jess is getting is money that somebody else is not. There is one pot for all Kindle Unlimited authors in any given month. It varies a little bit and changes. And that is how folks get their payout. So if someone is doing something that is a little bit uh, less noble, mm-hmm. um, then that does impact other folks. So anyway, Alexa Riley has a reputation, again, for some sort of dubious business practices and They were signed this week by Entangled Publishing. Um, That news came out uh, from Entangled on the 21st, so maybe Monday. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the major concern there was they had also had uh, – I will say their practices were dubious enough that Amazon had actually removed their books from the site, which, as we have discussed before, that's a pretty high bar. Amazon does not do that a lot, so – Take that information for what it's worth. Um, I think it was a little bit more of a slap in the face to some of the folks who were struggling um, to figure out what their future looks like as, you know, authors who had been writing for or were supposed to be writing for Karina uh, mm-hmm. to see that, you know, Alexa Riley would just gotten signed by Entangled. So there was a big pushback against Entangled. I don't know if it's going to mean anything or add up to anything. There was some, uh, you know, folks talking this week on Twitter again about, the books that they were publishing with Entangled getting pulled back down because of the practices. I don't know for sure whether that's true or not, but it was just, again, just kind of like a gross, icky couple of weeks for romance publishing. Yeah. And then like less than three press announced their closure. Um, and there are probably several authors there who would have loved to have been picked up by a pretty prominent publisher after suddenly having nowhere to publish their work and just uh, the choices people make the choices people make the choices publishers make and oh you're yeah. right actually we should say people because they're not divorced like it's actually somebody makes those decisions mm-hmm. uh, i mean speaking of strange decisions jess is it wrong to trick your mom into dating a robot Well, you gotta wonder. You do. (laughs) And you know who wondered? Crystal Hemingway. Because our next sponsor, that might be my favorite transition I've ever done. I love it. Is Mom's Perfect Boyfriend by Crystal Hemingway. Uh, We're going to lighten up the conversation a little bit here because this one's uh, a little more fun. So 
Desperate to get some space from her lonely, overbearing mother, Crystal commissions a robotic, smart companion to serve as her mom's ideal boyfriend. This is a romantic comedy told through texts, emails, and journal entries, so kind of in the epistolary style, which is one of my personal favorites. Uh, And it is perfect for fans of Sophie Kinsella and Rainbow Roll. So uh, it's an ideal beach read. It's funny. It's fresh. It's got a happy ever after, which you know how we all love. Um, so it's a perfect summer romance for your vacation planning. There's also a, a comparison here to Gilmore Girls because it's a heartfelt story told from both the perspectives of a mother and a daughter. And, you know, robot romance is, is in right now. So so that's very exciting, too. Uh, apparently, it's also very fast paced and it feels like reading juicy gossip, which sounds like, again, right up my right up my alley told through um as i mentioned before text messages email journals such you know like like we said sort of a an epistolary novel so uh yeah again i (laughs) i don't know a lot about this book but i'm actually super intrigued by it Um, (laughs) and i would highly recommend that you check out mom's perfect boyfriend by crystal hemingway i have to tell you this is really interesting that both the author and the main characters names are crystal and I wonder if perhaps Crystal, the author, had a personal experience that informed Crystal, the character. But I don't know. Who's to say? At any rate, um, thank you to Mom's Perfect Boyfriend by Crystal Hemingway. Uh, check it out. And thanks to them for sponsoring the show. You can find the link in the show notes. It is available now. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. So, uh, you know, now that we've made ourselves real bummed out because of all the bummer things romance publishing is doing and some of the folks in there um we were gonna i actually asked jess if she wanted to talk through a topic that um one of our listeners actually brought to our attention um and that is about i'm trying to think of whether i don't have the i will use this person's first name um because that is not super identifying but rebecca (laughs) sent us a note um and she i will I will lay out the general question, and then before I get into the specific example, I will give you a heads up because it's it's a little spoilery. So mm-hmm. Rebecca's question was, uh, is there a amount of tragedy that can happen in the lives of the two main characters in a romance, at which point, first of all, it's not a romantic comedy anymore, and secondly, it's not a romance anymore? So, for example, if, you know, there's a loss of a parent or a pet or a friend or whatever, does that disallow a happy ever after ending? Um, And now I'm going to mention a specific book. So feel free to, uh, you know, move ahead 90 seconds or so in the podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. But Rebecca was talking specifically about the book, The Friend Zone um, by, uh, is it Abby Jimenez? Abby Jimenez, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Which um, ends in such a way that one of the major supporting characters, um, the close close friend of, of one of the main characters who had become very close to one of the, so there's a male lead and a female lead and they are they get together because they are the maid of honor and uh best man in a wedding for their two best friends the groom in that wedding uh does not survive the end of the book uh and it it's a pretty 
there a, a significant chunk of the book is dedicated to that tragedy and the trauma, both of the characters um, who are the main couple, but also of the uh, would-be bride. So anyway, so that is that is the spoilery part of this. To me, in a situation where a tragedy happens that I feel like a lot of times you can, I feel like a lot of times you can kind of see it coming, right? Like someone's parent or relative is really ill. Or uh, I mentioned uh, an example uh, in a book wherein somebody's best friend's uh, fiance was heavily involved with the Russian mob and we were pretty sure it wasn't going to end well. So like that, in that kind of thing, <laughs> I feel like if you kind of know when a thing is happening i if you're a little more prepared for it that that's one thing um i still feel like that kind of a thing i couldn't really describe it as a romantic comedy but i think it's possible to have a trauma or a tragedy and for something to still be a romance i don't know i'm still tossing this around in my head a little bit jess what do you think well i as far as the romantic comedy like i i can't even imagine marketing a book that involves a close friend's death and significant trauma of both protagonists after that death as a romantic comedy. Um, so, and I have not read this book yet um, because it's hanging out on my shelf. Um, so actually hearing about that was a, a shock because I didn't expect something that had been marketed in a more, um, sort of joyful way I don't I don't know if that's a good way to put it would would have that element of trauma because I I read books that I definitely consider still it romances um that have a significant amount of trauma in them they're angsty af um but they have a happy ending that you know, maybe one or both or all three or all four. I don't know. It, it's been a while. Um, of the main protagonists have some kind of trauma early on that they have to, um, rise above. And part of, part of that rising above involves the romance that is part of the story and living their lives with the person or people that they love after the story has ended. Um, but like a family member dying at 95%, I can't even see how you get to the happily ever after at that point. And I feel like I have never picked up something that has that level of trauma in it that I've considered a romance. Yeah. Or I think, you know, I won't spoil it by saying uh, what it is, but I read a book recently that had a, a family member die at probably 90, maybe 85, 90%. So it was a significant chunk of the way through, but that person's illness had been a significant plot point throughout the book. So it wasn't, it was actually kind of an important, it was part of what brought the two characters together. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I felt like that one, because of the way that they decided to kind of move on together as well, certainly not a rom-com. But yeah. I, you know, I agree that um, it, you know, it could be a romance. My thought too is, you know, you said something about the marketing of uh, the book that we were talking about earlier, and I think that's a tricky question too because we've talked a lot about romance marketing and what are we, 
indicating by, you know, delightful animated cover art or, or rather illustrated cover art or mm-hmm. um, how do we flag different types of romances in different kind of ways. And I do think, and I continue to think that we should not have to flag any more with a cover and romance than mm-hmm. any other genre is responsible for doing in any way. But this question and this sort of conversation did make me think a little bit more about if you are marketing something as a light, fluffy romance, and it turns out to have a fairly significant level of trauma, is is that an okay kind of misleading? You know, like, uh, for instance, meet cute, like the Helena hunting one, um, mm-hmm. because I think there's another one. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you go in without reading the well, actually, no, I think if you read the blurb, even then you don't know that, you know, the one of the main characters suddenly loses his parents and has to deal with his grief and his younger sister's grief. And the other main character has already lost parents. And they have they have to figure out if that's a bond that they have. So it's like, that book was marketed heavily as a rom com. And I'll tell you, it's funny. But it's also like, heart twisty painful so Mm -hmm. like it's it's then there's stuff like that where it's like so this happened early on so there's elements of you know getting through your grief and figuring out how to deal with family and all of that um while also being funny um but it's not something that happens at the end unexpectedly I think that makes a lot of sense too. I think the the shock of that kind of thing so late in the book and the proximity, the close proximity to characters, right? You know, if if someone really is a an important part of a story. So, you know, I don't know. I would be interested in hearing what other folks think about this question. Um so do let us know. Send us a note at when in romance at bookriot.com and let us know if there is kind of a what your metric is for too tragic for uh, um, something to actually count as an H-E-A. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think it's the H, right? It's the happily. Yeah. That's a little bit of a struggle on this one. Yeah. I don't want to be sad when I finish reading a romance. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's why we read romance. Um, or emotionally satisfying. You know, I think that's the thing. It's, it's, it's yeah. What, let us know what your metrics are for that. Because like I said, I've still been... And tossing this one around in uh, in my brain a little bit. So, um, so huge thanks to Rebecca for sending that question, and uh, let us know what you think. And then one other last thing that before we do a, a quick book rec that we wanted to talk briefly about. Okay, I'm gonna lie. Uh, that's a lie. I wanted to talk briefly about is um, <laughs> a book, a, a list that I put together uh, for Book Riot. Uh, it's been a little while now, and I kind of missed it when it came out because. I don't know, I was traveling and didn't check the site one day or something. But I, with the help of many of my um, romance-loving fellow book writers, I put together a 50 must-read romances published in the last decade list for Book Riot. And I, it was a really interesting process. So I was just going to talk about it for a second. Um, And Jess, feel free to weigh in because Jess was one of the people who I asked for their input because I knew that not every book is for me. And I will be honest with you, some of the books that um, folks said absolutely needed to be on this list are books that were not really for me, that I either (laughs) 
finished and, and was not super excited about, or there is one uh, prominent book on this list that I have tried to start three times and have not been able to get into. So <laughs> I know um, which one that is. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> um, but because there was, you know, one of the things that I asked folks was, all right, if there are three books that absolutely have to be on this list, from, you know, your perspective, what are they? And so uh, with the input of some of the folks, that particular book was was on more than one list from folks. And so I thought, you know, it's more interesting and more fun, I think, to have a list that has a little bit more uh, input, just because we all read different things. And, um, you know, I maybe don't read as much paranormal or historical or whatever. So it was great to get different input from different people. Um, it is certainly not a list of the only 50 high quality romances published in the last decade. But I just think, you know, publishing and romance reading has changed so much, whether it's through self publishing or e readers, or the fact that, you know, romance readers read so vociferously and have access to books that are $1.99, you know, it can just go straight through. It seems mm-hmm. to me, although I certainly have come a little bit more recently to romance, that things have changed and that it was worth taking a look to see what are some of the books that if you are, you know, one of those folks who is turned off by the idea of romance of what you think you knew about romance in the 90s, maybe mm. it's time to like, jump to the future. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll tell you, people listening, because Trisha already knows this, I <laughs> I had a bit of my own personal trauma trying to help with this because the first large batch of answers that I gave Trisha and the first three books that I gave her for that absolutely must be on the list thing um, disappeared. I'm not going to say it was user error, but it was user error. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So my, uh, oh, I have more response was actually the only one Trisha got from me. And I'm glad to see that others felt similar to similar to me. Um, so that some of the ones that I included still made it into Trisha's radar. Well, and it was funny, too, because I got to a point, my, my initial goal was to not include more than one book by any author on the list. <laughs> and so I went to the Book Riot Slack, the romance Slack, and said, okay, if you could only do one book by Helen Wong or by uh, Courtney Milan or Alyssa Cole or whoever, which which of these ones would it be? You will find that we did not narrow down in some cases. <laughs> so uh, in a handful of cases, there are two books by the same author. In one case, there are three. I will let you dig in and, and see whether you can figure out which, which one it is or not. <laughs> but anyway, um, there are actually the book, the list could have been 10 times as long mm-hmm. um, with, you know, five times as many authors. So again, it's it's just a sample of some of the books that we on the Book Riot side have really enjoyed that have come out in the last year. I will link to it in the show notes so that you all can uh, take a look at that and let us know what you think. It was really interesting for me, um, in part, just to get the perspective of some other people. And so um, I was mentioning it just mostly for that reason and to thank Jess over the podcast, as well as our other friends who contributed uh, for taking your time. Absolutely. Oh, man. Speaking of great books that have come out in the last uh, decade, what are you reading <laughs> now? That, what are you reading that you like right now, Jess? Well, you know, I, I just finished a book and am going to be picking one up um, after dinner. Um, so I the one that I finished was Desire in the Deep Blue Sea by Olivia Dade. Um, and it is a delightful story about 
guess what? A fake relationship. Um, cause you don't I'm, say. Cause you don't <laughs> say. I am not predictable. I don't know what it is about them. They're just so great. I think it was all of the fan fiction as a child. Um, so anyway, Desire in the Deep Blue Sea is about a librarian and another librarian. Um, one of them has just broken up with her boyfriend and had planned to go on a reality TV show that offered a free island vacation. Um, but you have to be a couple to go on the show. So all of a sudden she's like, wait, I have a new boyfriend now. His name is Thomas. He's also a librarian. Um, so even though, um, they don't get along very well, although there's a lot of interesting backstory with the whole thing about them not speaking very much or talking to each other or hanging out at all or even being anywhere together except on the reference desk um he agrees to go on this vacation with her because guess what he has been in love with her since they met who knew um and it's just it's a delightful book it's really quick um olivia dade is just one of those authors who can write any story and just get you involved because she writes characters who have um, real human problems and uh, male characters who have, who are just basically the best examples of non-toxic masculinity you can find. And it's just, they're lots of fun. And if I'm not mistaken, Jess, this one is not connected to the one that she just put out. Is that right? Correct. It's not connected to Teach Me, although I think they might originate in the same small city. Um, but they're not, if you look at her, her book series, they're not under the same series. So I'm not sure if she's just like building out a universe or, or how that's working. Awesome. Well, uh, and have you, did you already mention the book that you're picking up right after? I didn't. Um, that one is The Perfect Date by Evelyn Lasada. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I think it's also a fake relationship book. <laughs> well, we know you have a type. I think that's great. I'm just trying to get through some of my recent backlog, you know? So I was like, oh, that one's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what they all say. I bought it at Mahogany Books in D.C. when I was there for the American Library Association annual conference. Um, Mahogany Books is this tiny, adorable bookstore featuring only books by authors of color, Black-owned, in a historic Black neighborhood. It was just like a joy to go in because it wasn't there when I lived there. So it's like, I would have loved this when I was a teenager. Um, but anyway, so it had been sitting around and I was like, you know what, I need to read that. Um, and I set it aside in, like deliberately so that I would pick it up this evening. Well, that sounds lovely. So I have to tell you before I tell you what my book is, I am still in Wisconsin as we record this. And I took a uh, overnight trip like over the weekend to a place called Door County, Wisconsin, which is out on this peninsula. And if you go to the very end of the peninsula and then you take a ferry, you can get to this place called Washington Island. And it is an island that is only accessible by ferry. And it's, you know, maybe 600 residents, something like that. And, uh, the book that it made me think of was Her Other Secret, which I think I mentioned a couple of episodes ago I had planned to read next uh, by Helen K. Diamond. And it's a romantic suspense book wherein um, 
everyone who lives on this island seems to be trying to escape some kind of secret past, you know, like just kind of <laughs> like Whitaker Island is, you know, just one of those places you go when you have a secret past. So when uh, this random woman, or I'm sorry, when this random man in a full <laughs> uh, suit gets off of a boat soaking wet and walks across a beach, our two main characters, Hansa and Tessa, Hansen and Tessa, feel like it's a little odd. It's a little <laughs> unusual. Um, and then people start to die, and it turns out somebody from the island knew the guy in the soaking wet suit. It's There's a lot going on there, uh, <laughs> but there's this really great element of, oh, shoot, the storms are coming in. No one can get to the island for, like, three days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the poor detective who's working by himself on the island is trying to figure it all out. Anyway, um, Hansen is also a handyman, which I've already indicated how I feel about handymen. Uh, <laughs> but having um, just finished this book and then going to Washington Island, which is also only accessible by ferry, and in which had the loveliest bookstore called, called Fair Isle Books, uh, which had a great romance section. I actually recommended this book to the lovely owner who I got to talk with for a while. Um, I told her, you know, this might be your speed. This might feel <laughs> a little familiar when you start reading it. Um, but anyway, it was, I do like a nice romantic suspense. This one had um, good humor. The relationships felt genuine. There's some really strong, good friendships in it as well. Um, and the end of it to me felt very satisfying. So that's Her Other Secret by Helen K. Diamond. Uh, feel free to check that out, whether or not you are traveling to an island via ferry this summer. <laughs> and I think... That might be it for us for this particular episode of One in Romance. Well, it was a very thorough, broadly spread episode for us. Yeah, we had a lot going on. So yeah, hopefully hopefully all that jumping around didn't make anybody dizzy on the listening end. But if it did, or if you have any other thoughts um, from any of the things that we talked about, please don't hesitate to let us know. Get excited about the book club. Um And yeah, if you're so inclined, don't hesitate either to rate and review the show so that other romance lovers can find it. Absolutely. We appreciate all that you do to share what we do um, with new people and not new people. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And with us, we actually over the last couple of weeks have gotten some really lovely kind of shout outs on um, a few different places from folks. And every time that happens, it makes my day. So thank you to the folks who are thank you to everybody for listening. But um, for those of you who have taken the time to, to send your kind words about the the podcast, thank you for doing that. Yes, thank you lots. And feel free to do it some more. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm on social media at Trisha Haley Brown. That's Instagram and Twitter. And I am on Twitter at Jess is reading all one word. And Jess underscore is underscore reading no underscore at the end on Instagram. <laughs> and our uh, when in romance email address is not quite as shiny new, but it's still pretty new. So do feel free to email us at when in romance at bookriot.com. And Jess and I will get your emails. Yes, we will. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody.